Welcome back, dear listeners, to the Dish with Dina podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. My guest today is Stephanie Oliver, a Canadian-based optimization coach, food creator, author, and speaker. Stephanie and I dish about traditional and holiday meals, the role of food in relationships, experimenting with different health approaches based on our own personal needs, and being a conscientious and educated consumer. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and let's dish. Welcome, Stephanie Oliver, to the Dish with Dina podcast. How are you doing today? I am great and grateful. I'm so thankful to be here with you, and thank you for having me. I'm super blessed. Me too. I was thinking because often is the case that I meet people in the virtual space. I feel like probably 90% of the guests that I've had on my podcast in the last couple of years have been online people that I've never met in real life. Do you remember how we got to know each other? How do we know each other or how we came to learn about each other? Yes, totally. It was through the fabulous Karen Ross. Yes. So she connected us uh, through, you know, just LinkedIn, I think it was. Through the yes, world. <laughs> she did. I think um, I forget if there was something that I was promoting about my podcast, but she chimed in and said, yeah. I have someone that you should talk to. <laughs> so yeah. I love that. And for anybody who's listening to this right now, Karen Ross, the leadership, the kindness leadership uh, yes. guest that I had on, I think she was in season three or season four. I'll put the note in the notes section of our episode when it launches. And she's such a sweetheart. I'm really glad that she's amazing. She's the gift <laughs> that keeps on giving throughout the yes. world, throughout the world. So Stephanie, you are currently located in Canada. Yes. Is that where you were upbringing started can you tell us a little bit about some of your cultural history where you grew up and anything food specific that you can remember from your childhood years sure well I grew up in Gatineau uh, in, which is in Quebec so I'm French Canadian so it's the French portion of Canada and uh, Gatineau is just across the border uh, or we basically crossed a river to go to the capital of Canada which is Ottawa uh, which is now where I live with my family. Yeah, and so growing up French-Canadian, um, there was a lot of, you know, food influences uh, when it comes to to, to, to food and my, my culture, um, which is interesting because it's very different than now, than what I eat now. Uh, it was very much, I would say, meat-based and starch based and uh, lots of sugary things and now I really basically don't eat any of that <laughs> a complete shift complete when you shift. were younger were so I'm trying to think too not to be stereotypical mm. of the Canadian vicinity but I you know I know a lot of people think about poutine. Poutine is a very well-known dish. Is that part of a special occasion meal? Is that something that you used to eat on a regular basis? Were there kind of like go-to traditional things or recipes that you cooked as a family as well when you were younger? Yeah, definitely. That's such a great question. When I think about poutine, it's funny because we rarely would ever make poutine at home, right? It was always something that was kind of a treat that we would go out and, you know, we knew the best sort of poutine spots and it was kind of that quick meal. At home, it was mostly this idea of meat and potatoes. 
um the vegetables that we mostly ate well that I you know I was kind of picky a picky eater so I would eat like corn and I would um you know my mom would like microwave a can of peas which I was like ah, I don't want to eat that the peas um and you know we had steaks and you know pork chops and uh there's a few things that that are some of my fondest food memories revolving around Christmas which was like tourtière. I don't know if you ever heard of the name tourtière. It's kind of like a meat pie. Um, it's so delicious. And uh, we had these, um, they called it petit pain fourré, which is like these little breads, again, stuffed with meat, like a seasoned meat and uh, sugar pie and all the sweet stuff that you can think about. So those are a lot of the Christmas uh, specialties that we would only have at Christmas never ever made that outside of Christmas so we we were really looking forward to that every year <laughs> I was actually going to ask you about holidays that felt really special to you mm-hmm. I've mentioned in some of my past episodes when I was a very young child we used to live in a two-family house and my grandparents would live I can't remember who was downstairs and who was upstairs <laughs> but we had all hands on deck. I mean, we would start on Sunday and preparing the meals just for our weekly Sunday dinners, which would just be a giant pasta fest, but there Mm -hmm. would be a lot of meat involved, a lot of side dishes. And then the holidays would probably also start about a week ahead of time where we would create pastries and, you know, dishes that we would freeze. We had a lot of dough based dishes as well. So we would have to rise and then punch that down and baking and cooking and seasoning and all of these different things. So did you take part of that also? Like, were you hands-on in the kitchen? I, at some point I did. Um, and then I think, I don't know if I lost interest or maybe as I got older, it was maybe happening less. I don't really remember, but yeah, at some point I did, I tried to do to help. I loved my, I loved helping my mom with the pies. (laughs) (laughs) that was my my favorite part and I would always take the leftover pie dough and make uh what we call the uh, pet de sar which is translated as nun farts or sisters farts which is basically like a cinnamon roll but without the 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 bready part it's more of like a pie dough I don't know if you ever it's kind of more like a cookie I guess um so we would take the leftover pie dough and I would just roll out my dough and then put the butter and the cinnamon and sugar and roll it up and eat that. And I would try not to eat it all raw because <laughs> I had this thing with raw dough. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I can feel that I'm you're bringing me back in some memories, too. My mom used to make, well, a lot of different types of cookies and the batter would look so good. And back okay. in the day, we didn't probably recognize, you know, potential foodborne illnesses of eating raw cookie dough and that sort of thing. But I just remember when she wasn't looking, I would just drag my finger across whatever was inside the bowl and eat it. Sometimes it wouldn't have been sweetened yet. So there was a surprise that I was just caught up in a lot of, you know, uh, flour and this was not <laughs> at all palatable but I I you're making me think of a lot of the things that we used to do too on certain times of the year where I would you know want to eat all the leftover <laughs> leftover yes. things even if they weren't cooked yet I and I always say that you can tell how good a cookie or cake is going to be by the dough 
unless it's made with chickpea flour, then the chickpea flour really ruins the dough, but it, it will taste good. You just have Later to trust on. the process. <laughs> what it lacks in its raw quality state, it yes. makes up for in the cooked, so. in the cooked version. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So share with me then too, as you were saying before of being kind of a picky ish eater or having, you know, sort of like this meat and potatoes based or meat and starch based repertoire at home. Where did the shift happen for you? Where did you start becoming a little bit more aware of your own food preferences, being more maybe independent or responsible for your own cooking or eating or shopping? How did that all happen for you? Oh, yeah, that's such a great question. Um, and it's interesting because, so I'll kind of lead into that, but one thing I want to say is growing up, my mom did most of the cooking. My dad had some key things. Like he was the lasagna maker and he was the barbecuer and that kind of stuff. Right. And my mom, I remember her feeling really overwhelmed by, you know, having to feed the family, especially I think with choosing something that everyone would like. Um, and then we would always complain, my brother and I, right? We would always complain. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard because I could totally relate to that now as a mom and be like, you pour your heart out to the meal and then no one's happy or maybe half of the people are happy. And it's tough. It, it does become really overwhelming. And I feel like looking back, we were just really ungrateful that we did have food, you know, we did have food. And my mom was a great cook. She always felt like she wasn't. Uh, but looking back, I'm like, she was a great cook and she did her best, you know, even though she doesn't, she still to this day, she's like, I'm not a great cook, but I'm like, you are, you fed us and we were, you know, ungrateful. <laughs> if you don't mind, I want to yeah. interject about that because yeah. I, I can totally understand where that comes from, right? At, at the time when you're younger, you know, your flavor palette might change. And we've often talked in some of the past episodes too especially in some cultures where there is a connection of food equals love. So mm. it's about, you know, you are pouring, pouring your heart and soul. You are pouring your time and energy. You are trying to say, I'm not here just to nourish you, but let me share with you what yeah. brings me joy. And then when you get kids who are like, "Ugh, this is gross, or, you know, maybe the profile flavors are a little bit too mature for younger people, or maybe the seasonings, you know, maybe children might prefer some saltier or blander tastes. And as an older person, an adult, you're not necessarily having to customize every single recipe to meet the needs of every single individual, nor should yeah. you right in your family. So to hear that, like you said, it's oh, this pain, the stake in your heart. And so that is interesting because I'm wondering you know, as adults who do provide for their families, if that also then affects their ability to want to keep doing that, you know, I've mm -hmm. heard such negative feedback or one tiny instance where it really affected me emotionally, like that now ruins my whole, the next mm -hmm. time I'm doing this again, I don't, I don't want to cook anymore. So that's really also kind of an interesting behavioral shift that maybe happens with our parents. So listen up kids, be <laughs> kind, use your words gently. If you don't like something, maybe just say, it's not for me, but it's quite delicious. Or I really appreciate the time that you took to do this. You never know how that's going to affect your parents 
So going back to the question about yeah. when the shift change happened, what influences that you kind of picking up on in, in more of your adult years, I guess, as you're getting mm-hmm. more independent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I just want to say you're so right <laughs> in what you said. I, I totally um, co-signed that, you know, when my daughter and I'm teaching my daughter to to say things like that instead of like, I don't want to eat it or yuck or it looks gross <laughs> or something you know, to be really kind and mindful of how the person's going to feel um, by that. Yeah. So I love that food equals love. uh, For sure. I believe that. So when the shift happened for me, I'd say I was in my late teens. Um, I just started going to uh, church. uh, And then at, at this church, it was very multicultural. Lots of different cultures, especially I would say from the Caribbean, Africa. So then I was starting to be exposed to all kinds of flavors that I never even knew existed. You know, lots of curries and just different spices that I thought, oh, this is new and I like it, you know. So I started experimenting myself and I bought my own little spice rack with all the different, you know, spices that we didn't have at home. And I started making curry chickpeas and all kinds of different things at home. And uh, I think that's where the shift happened. Because before that, I would never cook at home. And this was about, I was like 19, 20. I was still living with my parents. And yeah, I, I just remember bringing my little spice rack whenever I would cook in my parents' kitchen. And my parents were like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm cooking. <laughs> I'm doctoring things up to meet the flavors that you enjoy. This really speaks a lot also to just the exposure approach in mm-hmm. general, right? Wherever mm-hmm. you live, whatever part of the world that you live in, if you can find some of these hidden gems, these neighborhoods that are maybe more affiliated to different kinds of ethnicities or cultures that you have not yet tried out, give them a try. Odds are they're going to be recognizable ingredients in almost everything. Like you mentioned, Stephanie, right? Chickpeas, different kinds of bases of like sauces and things that you might recognize. And then having that experience be of many different senses, like looking with your eyes, how people plate things, or maybe they don't care so much about the presentation, right? You look at French cooking versus maybe Indian cooking. There's, or at least what is considered stereotypical French cooking. It's a little bit more elaborate, a lot lighter and gentler. You have Indian cooking, a lot of layers upon layers of flavors, and you get to kind of get inspired by all of that. And that's also something too, when it comes to both, well, I was going to say children, but both children and adults Mm -hmm. that you ebb and flow in the ways that your tastes may change and develop over time. So the more that you experience, the more that you are exposed to, the more you can say yes to certain things and no to other things if you don't like them. So I think it gives you a good library and inventory of places to go and things to eat so that it doesn't feel super mundane if you do feel like you're adhering to a little bit more of um not necessarily a restricted schedule of eating but just maybe things that you might be a little bit pickier around but you can still opt to say let's do mexican let's do thai let's do something else it definitely opened up my my eyes my mind my heart my taste buds to a whole new world you know, and, and then I started, like I said, I started experimenting as well in the kitchen and eventually moved out of my parents' home. And then I was, you know, fully responsible for all the food that was 
there coming out to feed me, which was a great experience. Well, so now let's talk about transitioning into the more adulthood. You know, you have a family now and you're cooking for yourself and other people or how you might have to now be on that side of catering to different taste buds and different preferences and different life cycle changes there. What has brought you from there to who you are now? Yeah, well, one big shift that happened was when I was living out on my own before I got married, I became vegan. And so I stopped eating meat, I stopped eating any dairy. And that's, that was my, my own, you know, my own decision. And that's what I was doing for, for myself. And I felt really healthy and good doing that. And when I got married, um, I, my husband has a son who, who was about, well, how old was he when he, when we got married? Five, maybe eight He's 19 now, so it's a while, <laughs> a long time ago. Um, when we got married, it was like, okay, now I'm I'm not just responsible for my own eating, but for the husband and my stepson. So I, I was feeling like how my mom was feeling growing up, you know, especially because I knew how I wanted to eat and needed to eat in order to feel my best. But they weren't eating like that at all. You know, I mean, my husband was very happy to 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 make compromises and whatnot. He was so happy. But, you know, you can't really expect an eight or nine year old, especially since he was um, half the time with us to adapt to all of that vegan cooking. And this was like, again, over uh, 12, 14 years ago now. So so it's it's a while. It's a while. Cooking, vegan cooking is not what it what it was then, you know. Um, so it was tough. It was really tough. And I certainly felt discouraged at times, uh, you know, just like how my mom used to feel. And um I eventually started incorporating back eggs and fish into my diet. And and then I got uh, pneumonia which really affected my immune system. And I decided to go see a natural path because it was really like my immune system was really shot down. And through the natural path, I did a food sensitivity test and I found out that I was sensitive to gluten, dairy, and uh, sugar. Which was all the things that I used to eat. I was going to say the top contenders. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, side note, you know, I was, you know, I was definitely all into sugar and growing up and throughout my adulthood. I mean, the theme of our wedding was she bakes, he eats, you know, so it was uh, definitely something very uh, prominent <laughs> in our lives where we would eat lots of sweets and uh yeah drinking chocolate milk was my my go-to with the Nesquik uh (laughs) that was my go-to so yeah when I found out I was sensitive to all these things I definitely had to make make a big shift in my eating even though I was vegan being vegan I think is easy compared to being gluten-free I think that was the biggest shift like I remember going to the grocery stores and after I found out and you know trying to shop 
and looking at every single thing I'm used to buying and I'm looking at the ingredients and I'm like, I can't eat this and I can't eat that. How long ago just, was this again? Uh, this, was, um, uh, this was in 2010. So that's, you know, now we see more popular yeah. food brands that offer options like that. But back then it was slim pickings. It was rough. Yeah. It was really, really rough. Um, there was not much and what there was, wasn't great quality. I'm, you know, pretty picky when it comes to that kind of quality, especially as a baker back then, you know, was, so I went into this, I, this challenge or this desire to recreate some of my best recipes in a vegan gluten-free way. And in a way that people wouldn't even know that it was vegan and gluten-free, especially when it came to cookies, because I love cookies. Yeah, so I I did I did a lot, a lot of experimenting in the kitchen and uh yeah, to try to find the 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 right combination, the right ratio of this flour and that flour. And yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> so that was something that you could not find what you were looking for already mm -hmm. done for you you had to take control over it obviously yeah. I want to acknowledge not everybody has the ability the skills the access to be able to do that which is why when you do find out certain things about managing a condition or adjusting your food habits it can really feel a bit overwhelming it can mm -hmm. feel a little bit challenging you can also get into unfortunately restrictive eating patterns if you're worried about the sensitivity issues or flare-ups so when you mentioned before too and i just want to clarify this also for the listeners that when we talk about having a specific diet whether you're following a vegan based diet or you are removing certain things from your diet, like dairy, gluten, et cetera, whether you have a known immune response, an allergy or an intolerance or a sensitivity to things, you still need to eat calories. Like you still need to have food. So you have to make up for all the things that you're taking literally off of your plate by adding in something else, whether it's doubling up on things that are working for you or finding alternative, like you were mentioning, finding alternative foods or maybe creating mm -hmm. your own foods from scratch to make sure that you're still getting energy because that really is what calories are to make sure that you are fueling and nourishing your body. Did you find yourself feeling better, more strengthened, more confident, or were there times where you felt like a little bit weaker while you were trying to adjust to this new way of eating? So once I made the, 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 I would say the full shift, right? The full mindset shift, because it really is all about mindset. For me, um, I was feeling much better. So those things that I used to eat were not fueling me in a way that that sh that sh it should, you know, or that good food should. And I resisted it for quite a while. I was very stubborn. <laughs> I would allow myself to be tempted by, you know, donuts at parties or, you know, roti at another lunch or croissants or all these bready, doughy things that I was missing until, which every single time I regretted eating because it would flare up again. And it, it wasn't until I finally did the mindset shift of like, okay, I accept accept it now, right? I accepted that I will no longer eat those things that if I can recreate some, I will take the time and, 
and experiment. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to turn to the most constant things in my diet, which have been fruits and vegetables. So by filling up, you know, my my life with more of that, which was the constant thread, you know, throughout, you know, my my life or of what I needed in order to be fueled. Um, it made a huge difference for me in terms of my energy, my vitality, my skin, uh, my mental clarity, all of that. The mindset shift, right? Kind of making peace with something. I actually wrote down stages of grief. It's almost mm. like you're mourning the loss of things, the foods that brought you joy, comfort, maybe even how you were, but you're also recognizing that you weren't feeling like your best self in that sense. So you have to figure out what you want to do. We talk a lot in this podcast, and I know I work with a variety of clients who do sometimes have trigger issues or border on disordered eating patterns where I want everyone to always feel comfortable that there is room for all different kinds of foods. Mm -hmm. I want you to feel free with the food choices that you have. However, if it is causing you grief, discomfort, flare ups, and so on, if you have a legitimate diagnosed disorder or condition of something, you, you might have to make peace with that. When I focus a lot on the autoimmune disease, celiac disease. That's when I really try to make mention too, because symptoms can vary in so many mm -hmm. people. And I'm going to take this time too, to just disclaim, this is not medical advice. I want everybody mm -hmm. to still go to their doctors and work with their dietitians. But the issue with the gut, right? The microbiome, mm -hmm. the sensitivity that is your full digestive system from literally, as I say, mouth to south, right? From your open end to the other end, mm -hmm. that if you are damaging the cells within that mucosa with those layers, the epithelial cells, because your intestines are on such a high turnover, there is an issue with potentially being put at a risk for things like cancer mm -hmm. or other chronic conditions. So even if you don't necessarily recognize a symptom happening, but you have been diagnosed with something, you might have to do like your intervention, your treatment plan might have to be lifelong avoidance of a particular food or ingredient. So again, you go through the process of mourning. I can't eat bagels anymore. Or when I do eat bagels, I'm going to be eating the gluten-free ones. Thank goodness. Like Stephanie and I were just saying, you know, nowadays there are definitely more flavorful options for you to have. A lot of companies have jumped on the bandwagon of being able to support people with conditions like that, gastrointestinal issues or celiac disease in particular. So just know that hopefully there's, there's something out there to support you. I also want to recognize too, as I said before, with the privilege of having access, the ability, health insurance, like to even see doctors or paying out of pocket to potentially see specialists on these things, you know, there's some form of privilege to that. And it does end up lending itself to something that we call healthism, right? Putting the onus or the responsibility on the human person, but yet nobody else is in charge of that. So this is where... I'm getting on my soapbox to make sure that people can advocate for themselves as patients, speak with your doctors, your providers, make sure you're voting when it comes to certain agendas, when it comes to food regulations or what is being put in the food system that can help support you to have a wider variety of nutritious and affordable food. We don't want you to feel like you're solely responsible for fixing whatever is going on and resolving a condition in your life. There should be a team in that, whether it's the team of healthcare providers 
or your grocery store or whatever it is that can make you feel supported in that. So that is me on my soapbox. Do with you what with that with you will. <laughs> um, but I wanted to just recognize that, that it's not always easy. There's a lot of moving parts and factors to take into consideration. Yeah, totally. And if I could just add two quick things, you know, you were talking about the gluten-free world now and how it's it's amazingly much better than it was, you know, let's say when I first started or even 20 years ago. And I think that's fantastic. I think one thing that we must keep in mind is that just because it says gluten-free or vegan, it doesn't mean it's healthy or good for you because we have to be so careful with what is put in you know, the ingredients or anything processed that you buy really, right? So that's just kind of a call out to everyone. Remember to check the ingredient list. This is 100% accurate. Same thing with issues with like when you're looking at food labels, the the powers that be in the food system, especially here in the United States of America, I always say the front of packaging is fiction and the back is fact. So right, marketing goes a long way a a serving of fruits and vegetables in whatever this thing is but when you turn it around the first couple of ingredients are added sugars or corn syrup or things that might cause some issues for people who are a little bit more sensitive to those things so being a conscientious and educated consumer is also something to yeah totally totally and the other thing I wanted to just jump on was what you shared about the stages of grief is oh my goodness I can totally relate to that and you know, for years, it was like, why do I keep doing this to myself? You know, and I I can even think of um, some friends or even my husband who, you know, we like, you know, what triggers you, you know, what triggers a flare up. And it's so hard to just resist and say, you know what, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop doing that, I'm going to stop eating it. And I'm just going to feel much better because I don't have it, even though, it might bring up these nice food memories or just feels good to eat. Um, Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough because I feel like we're kind of like stubborn beings in that sense. You know, we just, we know what we want and it's really hard to make peace with it. Like you said, and just accept that it's not, it's not good for us, for a body, for a mind, for spirit, et cetera. Yeah. And this is along the lines of a lot of conversations that my dietetic colleagues have as well, that try not to place too much moral um, weight on food, right? It's there to yeah. nourish you or provide you with enjoyment. So you have things that give you vitamins and minerals, and then you have other kind of indulgent foods, but you, you yourself should also make sure you're not feeling guilty or bad for some of the choices mm-hmm. that you make, that you're honoring, prioritizing, hopefully your health. And then if you are eating something that was it within whatever your, you know, approved foods might be that feels a little bit more indulgent, that if you're going to make that decision, don't beat yourself up over it. Just try to acknowledge that as a factor of something that happened. Maybe you fell off track with something and then you feel like you can just move on again, Stephanie, like you just said, easier said than done. Yeah. (laughs) It takes a lot of trial and error. Some of us are still working on our relationships with food. So (laughs) tell me a little bit about what a current week in the life of you is. Let's move into current day. Like, what is it that you do? I've obviously been checking you out on your social media platforms. I didn't mention this before, but I just downloaded your book, your ebook. So share with us a little bit about what a typical week in the life of you might be right now. All right. Well, one of the things that you said, something that really sparked uh, a thought, which is, you know, seeing food as nourishment 
And that's really another mindset shift that I've had to do in the last few years. And it's in a way what led to publishing my first book, which uh, is called Fueled by Plants, which is a recipe book um, that, you know, helps people discover some simple, yummy, healthy recipes that are all vegan, gluten-free. But it's not a book to try to convince you to be vegan, gluten-free. It's just providing some options and help people get fueled by by plants, by what uh, is that constant nourishment that we all need because we all don't get enough fruits and vegetables, right? Um, and at the same time, I created this book, Early Pandemic, and it was my way of sort of giving back to local local companies, local food, because every or most of the recipes feature a local food, um, which helps us to be just a bit quicker and more effective in the kitchen. So for example, there's like a cheese ball and it's made of uh, cashew cheese as the base. Anyone can make their own cashew cheese at home. It's fairly easy to do, but it also takes time, right? So I like to support uh, this one specific company, Zengari, which is in the area, and just use their own, it's flavored, it's like the, the one I use for the cheese ball recipe, it's smoky jalapeno, and uh, it's such a beautiful flavor mixed in with, you know, I add um, mango chutney and curry powder, it's kind of like this Caribbean style cheese ball recipe with some coconut, and it's just so good. And I usually make that at Christmas, but every once in a while, you know, if I have some people over, I'll make it for them. So anyways, all this to say, you know, being able to be fueled by plants is what really inspired, well, the mindset shift and the recipe book and my day-to-day -day life now, because that's what I try to focus on in getting a good, um, I would say a good process in place for being effective in the kitchen. Uh, so I try to do some flexible meal planning, usually near the end of the week or the following week. And then I love going to the farmer's market. So if I go to the farmer's market on Sunday, then I know I can get most of the different things I need. Or I'll do an Instacart order, which is the busy mom's best friend. Um, I'm obsessed with Instacart, like having other people shop for you and giving them, you know, jobs at the same time. It's just such a win-win for me. And, and then I'll food prep on Sunday as much as possible. Try to cut up all the vegetables that I'll need for the week and try to do like a flexible meal plan. I say flexible because we are not the type of family who like to be rigid in you know, oh, okay, today we're going to eat this and to that, tomorrow that it, I think it provides more anxiety uh, because we're really kind of go with the flow people. So we have a certain few things that we know we're going to make during the week and we just, you know, make space for it. And we love to get takeout too. So, you know, when it comes to like, I don't know, Thai food or <laughs> Indian food or, you know, some of our, our go-to, um, uh, takeout places that we love and yeah then we're just ready for the week ready to eat and it's you know when we don't do our meal prep on Sundays I find this is where we start making more forward choices let's say <laughs> to be really fueled and nourished for the day-to-day -day. I like that there's routine 
but yet flexibility within it. I often, when I walk through some meal planning ideas with clients of mine, I try to tell them, I mean, unless you have a large refrigerator, a large freezer where you can make things well ahead of time and pack them away for mm -hmm. future purposes. Try not to put more than maybe three to four days worth of meals together, or at least visualizing and creating some of that. Because number one, like you said, right, you might go through a moment where you just don't feel like eating that yeah. that day. You might want to do takeout. Your schedule might get thrown off. And that allows you to have takeout days, leftover days, and then you're not wasting food, which we don't love when people throw away 15 bags of oranges that they thought they were going to do something with because they were on sale. Exactly. And then it all goes to waste. Professionally speaking, share a little bit about the business ventures that you have and what are some of your kind of like non-negotiables there too, in order to remain efficient and productive at both being you as the human person personally, and then you as the business person? Yeah, so professionally, well, right now, I mostly um, work from home, and I'm a lean management coach at a government um, of Canada department. And I'm actually going on maternity leave soon. Uh, so I'll be having a baby in just a few months. And I've been, you know, working on some of my, my passion uh, passion projects. And who knows, you know, maybe someday I'll shift towards that a, a bit more in terms of wellness and optimization coaching, which is really what I'm passionate about, as well as leadership coaching, and merging, you know, optimization and this idea of uh, basically doing your best with, with what you have and reducing errors in the day with you know doing things with less effort and all all of that to optimize your day-to-day -day and the flow in your day and merging that with wellness which is where you see a lot of the routines and the processes and the operating patterns come in in the day-to-day -to, -day to help support health so you know the process of like our meal meal planning that I shared is really a big part of that and I love to help people figure that out for themselves for their family so that they can bring their best to their day because to me there's such a huge link to having these healthy foods that fuel you that nourish you and that you don't have to uh, be discouraged about or overwhelmed about so that you can focus your energy on you know, how, how you need to show up during the day, right? You need to show up for your family. You need to show up for people at work or whatever it is that you do. You need to show up and ideally you need to show up in your best self, right? So that's, uh, that's what I aim to do. And that's what I love to also help others do as well. So food is a huge part of that. Just like driving a car. I always use an analogy, Whenever you're driving the car, you're making sure you're filling it up with gas. So you make sure that you're fueling yourself. Yeah. I often hear people saying that they either don't eat a first meal of the day, don't have an appetite, mm -hmm. we'll just drink a cup of coffee and that'll be it until lunchtime. And I really encourage everybody, even if you're not necessarily picking up on hunger cues straight out of bed, that's fine. You know, you want to let an hour or so go by, that's fine. But at some point... You can't go too many hours because you really are living with that energy level being yeah. more and more depleted. You might find yourself feeling a little bit more 
unfocused or a little foggy or not making the proper choices. Like you were saying before, opting to get to the point where I'm so hungry, I don't have a plan in action. And now I'm going to eat something that I know is not going to really nourish me. It's just satisfying something right now. So I really encourage people, even if it's something small and quick, but sturdy, right? Mm -hmm. So what avocado on toast is a great go-to peanut butter and jelly sandwich, whatever, super easy, whatever your taste buds enjoy an egg, whatever it is, you know, try to have something in your stomach within the first few hours, once you've woken up, just because it's really hard to get that, that car out of the garage to drive to where you need Mm -hmm. to go over the course of the day. If you're literally running on empty, as far as your body is concerned. Yeah. Yeah, Nobody likes to deal with a hangry person. No hangry. (laughs) Exactly. No hangries. I, I love the resources that you mentioned too. I love the way that you also shared things that you're making sure you're taking care of. I know a lot of us who maybe work in virtual spaces or work in person remotely, whatever it is, if you're traveling from place to place or you're in a stationary environment to do make sure, and I am always one to confess that I don't always prioritize myself. I quite literally woke up today. So today we're recording this at the end of April. It's a Friday in bed turned to my phone and immediately answered like three to four emails Mm -hmm. at six in the morning. Why am I doing that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's because I didn't want to do it later. (laughs) I want to do other things later. So it made me feel okay to kind of knock it off my plate, but to have that screen in front of me, the second I woke up is something I try not to do on a regular basis. So finding moments of time where you can wind down, finding time where you can refill your energy, stop and look out in the distance. If you are on the computer all day, you know, have some sort of you time. It's not a luxury to invest in your own health, right? So you want to make sure you're able to replenish, whether it's socializing, going to church, being alone, taking a bath, going to a spa, whatever it is that you feel you want you know, for a run, being physically active. All of these things really play a role in both providing you with support in your physical health and your mental health as well. As we're about to wrap up, first, my first question is, is there anything else that we haven't really touched upon that you want to share that I might not have asked or or you might not have thought about? Well, I'll just piggyback on what you last said, because everything you just shared is is basically super linked to my new ebook, which is called Stay Focused. And it's an introduction to the four key elements to create a better daily flow. And in a nutshell, what I've discovered as a lean management coach is that, you know, I teach people how to manage work as a flow system. And what I've discovered is that we can manage our day as a flow system as well, how we not to get esoteric, because that's not what it's about, but how we are the energy flowing through that day, right? So we have to be mindful about our levels of energy, and what fuels us and what depletes us of that energy when it comes to not just food, but everything that you just mentioned, right? All of these things that may help to fuel our tank, our personal tank or, or deplete it. And so what I've discovered is by putting limits on these four key elements, it can help you prioritize yourself, not in a selfish way, but in a way that you can set limits and boundaries according to what you need to bring your best self to every area of your life. So that's what the book is all about. (laughs) It is a win-win. It is a win-win. I mean, I've 
been known to say things like I'm too busy. I've gotten people around me to say back to me, I know you're busy, but little by little over the past couple of years, I've released myself of busyness and I've allowed and have been very protective of time within my schedule that Mm -hmm. is just for me. So Mm -hmm. I try not to smash in every little nook and cranny. So this is why, okay, for those of you who don't know, who are trying to get, you know, lunch dates on the calendar with me, when I tell you (laughs) I don't have a date available for three weeks in advance is because I don't want to fit you in this week, even though I probably do have time because that's my time. My time is very precious to me. And I think, like I said before, I want people to feel not selfish. You mentioned that as well. It's not, it's you're investing in your own health and mental well-being. Totally. So Stephanie, this brings me to my final questions at every episode that I ask my pun intended food related questions. What is on your plate today, both in the figurative sense of when we're done talking, what are you doing next? And in the literal sense of what is your next meal going to consist of? (laughs) I love that question so much. Um, What's on my plate generally is I'm actually going to Japan uh next uh tuesday so in a few days and a few short days from now i'm going to japan with my husband and it's part sort of work related because we're going i'm going for a, a lean study tour um with another a group of 18 other uh, fantastic individuals across the world and uh, this is with Katie Anderson. So shout out to Katie Anderson, the lovely Katie Anderson. And I can't wait to meet her in person because it's another person that, you know, we see, uh, we've seen each other virtually for many, many years. Anyways, I'm going to Japan. My husband's coming with me for the first uh, f- uh, five days and uh, he'll be exploring on his own while I go on the tour. And everything that I'm doing right now is trying to focus on, you know, pre- prepping, planning, everything all of that so that we are ready to depart on Tuesday and um, I'm just so looking forward to the food experiences side note over in Japan I cannot wait to taste everything that I can um, and just really be immersed in the culture like that's something I'm really looking forward to and what's on my plate plate to eat that's a tricky one because I have a friend who's coming over to stay with us this weekend from Toronto and we got her to bring us some of our favorite takeout food (laughs) from this uh South Indian place called Babu um and they have just these amazing vegetarian vegan curries uh so she's bringing some over for us so I'm like really excited because usually it's only when we travel to Toronto that we uh we get to eat babu we usually do like a full order and bring back a whole bunch of food from there whenever we travel to Toronto which we haven't been in a while um but I think that's what I'm gonna have for for dinner if she gets here on time (laughs) so it might be a surprise of what she's bringing to you but you're familiar with the menu to know what to expect yeah well what they do is they have you know those styrofoam containers that have like one big slot and then two small ones yes you get the the special which is basically they give you rice so it could be like a vegetable biryani rice and then four curries and it's enough food honestly for like three meals okay like it's it and it's amazing um so I'm really excited to see what she'll have picked because they usually have like a dozen different curries so 
lots of variety that is fantastic yeah. but I mean that's like the pros and cons of too much choices to have you're like yeah. get one of everything and just bring yeah. it over exactly so I wanted to say thank you very much for your time I wish you all the best on maternity leave I wish you all the best in your trip to Japan and back everything else that I've learned from you today has been super exciting and I'm just so happy first of all to Karen for introducing us and secondly as I've I said a lot in these episodes before you don't stop growing your network, right? The more you want to put yourself out there and engage, we never know when there might be opportunities where we can work together or share resources mm-hmm. with each other. And then your story has for sure probably resonated with people who are listening to this who've never met you before. So now this is also a very much a, a win-win situation for me. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to meet you and chat with you. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina, and I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at dishwithdina.com with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again. Dish again.